You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Well, hello and welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. So excited to be back as this week we would talk about the next installment in the never-ending Marvel Universe because we've hit film 21. So I figure by that point, it is the never-ending story. It's the new never-ending story. Um, And with me, as she is almost every single week, the wonderfully talented and beyond brilliant Christy Morris. Oh, you're the best. I'm going to have to come up with something nice to say about you every time we come in then. The- oh, I mean, there's only two nice things to say about me. So, which and is... one of them is your hair. Decent hair. And <laughs> I can't think of another. So, um, anyway, before we go down that road too much, um, we do want to welcome back to the 602 Club. Very excited to have her, Miss Brandy Jackla. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a... Oh, journey hasn't it <laughs> since i've been I, here i'd say it's been a long road so yeah uh, getting, getting from, from there, there to, to here. here yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, or 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 as the kids might say i don't know if they say this anymore but it's been a hot minute yeah i still say that but i am not a kid so it's probably not still popular with kids yeah i don't know <laughs> but i think we're here to get everybody's uh photon blast takes on you know Instead of hot takes, photon blast takes So on Captain Marvel, which, you know, I'm excited to dive into with you both. But uh, before we do that, just want to give everybody a quick reminder, as we do every week, you know, you can find all the Trek FM shows wherever you get your podcasts. But if you are over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please do hit up the 602 Club with a star rating and review. Help people find the show. Help people know what you think of the show. Um, And your star ratings and reviews do that wonderfully. Uh, And so, uh, it's been a while since we've had a new one. So uh, let us know what you think. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM, Maybe you'd like to join fans from all over the world who listen to Track FM and talk about the different shows on Track FM in our listeners-only discussion group. And you can do that on Facebook, which it's called the Babel Conference. So if you're on Facebook, type Babel into the search field. You'll find us. Or maybe you're on the website at track.fm perusing the different shows and any of the show pages. Hit the menu bar there that says Discussion. It'll bring you over there. And then last but not least, maybe you would like to send Christy and I an email. We love getting emails from all of you who listen. Mm-hmm. And you can do that at track.fm slash contact. Choose a show. Choose the 602 Club. And then that will come to us and we'll be able to talk to you. So I think, you know, it's always interesting coming into these films. Uh, obviously, you know, we are mere months away now from Endgame uh, and so Marvel decided this was the time to to drop Captain Marvel into the universe and so I wanted to ask both of you where you were coming into this one and kind of what your expectations were coming in. Well I 
really love the Carol Danvers incarnation of Captain Marvel. There have been others in the comics. She's like the seventh person to actually have that title, but I couldn't. Yeah, there's been a lot. Yeah. And there's a lot of turnover in the Captain Marvel, you know, there, There's character. a lot of death and a lot of <laughs> other things that happen. Funnily enough, uh, one of the characters in the movie, Carol's best friend, uh, Maria Rambeau, is actually in the comics as Monica Rambeau, and she's the second Captain Marvel. And uh, I was reading that today, and I, I was know. like, oh, that's interesting. She gives up the title later and then goes by Photon, which is her call sign in the movie. So nice little nods to the comics there. But I don't know everything about Captain Marvel because the history goes back several decades. But as far as the Carol Danvers incarnation, I was really excited for that because she is extremely powerful. She really kicks butt and she does have a sense of humor. She she tries to do what's right for everybody. But if somebody needs a butt whooping, she's going to dish it out. So I was hoping Mm -hmm. that that's what I was going to see in this film. And that was where my expectations stopped because I didn't want to have anything over and above that. What did you I mean, did you see any of the trailers beforehand, Brandy, too? Did they give you any idea of what you thought you might see at all? Honestly, no. I think they kept a lot secret. And I think there was a lot of misdirect as far as who was Marvell which that was a really nice misdirect that I appreciated. So I uh, I really just thought, you know what, I don't need to know. I don't need to do uh, any more research on the movie version of this. I'm just going to go into it and see how I feel. But yeah, the trailers weren't exactly informative other than figuring out that Carol had no idea who she was. And the suit change. Yeah. Did you love, though, the uh, end scene from the last Avengers movie, teasing that she was coming though oh yeah oh yeah yeah i really loved that because i'm like who is he paging in this day and age and then when you see it on the ground i'm just like <gasps> how discriminatory yeah. against those pager people that i'm sure still exist maybe they do um, where do they get their pagers though when they break <laughs> exactly it's like no, it's- i don't know maybe they go to the beeper king <laughs> That's a 30 Rock reference for anybody that doesn't get it, but... Hey, my dad used to be a beeper man for sure, so I remember... See, I, I had a beeper back in the day. <laughs> Me too. Man. Me too. In the 90s. Who didn't love, like, you know, sending a page to somebody and it just being a word spelled out, you know, because you'd learn how to do that, spell different words. Yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. And how you felt yeah, so cool was, saying, beat me. I was so hip. I mean, mine was like green and like see-through, you know, green, plastic green. So anyway, that's this is not a beeper podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I had I had read the um, the Kelly Sue, so I've read all of hers, and it was it was okay. I mean, for me, it didn't blow me away or anything. I I, I know so many people just absolutely adored that comic, and so I just wasn't one of them. Um, it just didn't land for me as well. Um, and then, you know, I just saw the trailers and I, the the thing that, that I came away from any of the trailers was, it's a Marvel movie. <laughs> like, you know, they have, after 20 films, very much their own feel and what they do. And so um, I just kind of expected it to be um, very much in line with a lot of the movies that we got that 
introduced characters, you know. Um, so um, I kind of was thinking back to the Phase 1 movies, you know, when you got Cap... Everybody was getting introduced, really. Um, and, you know, even the... You know, we when you introduce Doctor Strange or Ant-Man or, you know, um, even Black Panther, obviously, was, I think a lot of people I think think of as kind of like you know the pinnacle of introducing a character at this point uh, in the Marvel Universe because that movie uh, does such a good job of of kind of not only introducing us to a character but a whole new world um, so oh, yeah. Uh, yeah so I kind of I, I think that's where my expectations were I was like I was expecting it to kind of be in the, in the Marvel milieu um, and so kind of was really and it's kind of how I just judge Marvel movies in general like you just judge them against what's come before in the Marvel universe. Oh, how does this rank and all that stuff? So, um, so I actually had the opposite view of Matt's when it came to the comics version of Captain Marvel. I, I also was familiar with the Carol Danvers version and that was the first Captain Marvel I had ever been introduced to. Um, my husband actually has been a lifelong comic reader and said, um, I've heard a lot of good things about this writer, Kelly Sue DeConnick, and thought maybe you'd be interested in reading this. And I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And I fell in love with it because I've always really gravitated to characters that are strong women. Um, actually, a lot of the cosplay that I do revolves around that. So like I've done Huntress. Um, I haven't done Captain Marvel yet, but I'd love to. Um and uh, Catwoman. And so like, I, I really like that kind of character. And that's how I felt she portrayed Captain Marvel in her run of the comic. Um, particularly with like the Air Force background, it felt like she was had a good moral compass, but also could kick a little butt like Brandy said. So um, I like that. But I, I was excited when I got the teaser from um, the end of the last Avengers movie. Um, because of that. And because I had read some other things by Kelly Sue, she actually was nominated for an Eisner Award for her Pretty Deadly series. So if you haven't read that, it's awesome. It deals with basically how you um, teach kids to deal with death. Um, it sort of has, you know, like the the embodiment of death in the comic. Um, but anyway, she uh, she really got me into that whole feel of what feminism could be when it's done right, that it's about equal treatment of women that it shouldn't be that one gender is better than the other um and so that's what i was expecting coming into this and thinking it was going to be a similar kind of captain marvel um and I, I did too feel like you guys that the trailers didn't tell a lot and in a good way i didn't want it to do like some trailers have been lately where you feel like you've seen the whole movie before you even go see the movie um but yeah i uh I definitely want to see what you guys thought of the character in the movie compared to the comic. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great place to start, Christy. You know, just oh, with the captain. And um, I mean, what do we think of of the way that they do her story and her character arc? Since this is all about, I mean, this whole movie really it's literally exists to introduce us to Captain Marvel so she can come in and be awesome in Endgame. I I already went into it knowing that she couldn't remember her past. And so I thought that's an interesting way to go at it because we're not really seeing her at first as she eventually turns out to be. We're seeing what other people have made her. 
And she doesn't realize that at the time because she doesn't have, she has like dreams where she has these flashes of memories, but she doesn't have anything to associate them to. And so she just puts the, her faith in the people around her, her who tell her, no, you're this person and you're part of this uh, elite group of noble hero warriors. Um, sorry, but I have a really... Yeah, that line was not good. I really have a hard time with the thinking the Kree are noble in any way after all of the <laughs> visual evidence throughout the Marvel movies and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm kind of predisposed to not liking them. So it's interesting to see it from her point of view at first, how this is what she's been trained to do. And she's still got people telling her what to do. Oh, you have to control your emotions. You have to do this. You can't do that. And I thought, why? Why isn't she questioning why? But that was an interesting part of the character for me. So I actually enjoyed us taking this little journey with her as she figures out who she is and who she was. I I like that you said that. Brandy about her um, getting to know who she is and who she was and uh, that it's a, a journey um, because I do think if they had just told us right away everything about her that it wouldn't be as interesting um, but I I did like um, always liked her backstory of how she got her powers um, you know that it was this accident um, but I like that it wasn't right in the beginning yeah. You know, sort of like the the exposition being the accident. I'm glad that they waited and did that later. Um, but I I will say I felt like overall I was hoping for Brie to be stronger than she was in her performance of Captain Marvel. I felt like um, times when I really wanted her to be more um, emotionally touching um, with the audience that it felt kind of empty. Um, and so I ended up not being as thrilled about it as I thought I was going to be because I felt like, honestly, that um, Maria had a stronger emotional connection for me than Captain Marvel did in the movie. I can totally get that. And the, the, the way that I looked at it is she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't. She has been six for six years trained to be to push aside her emotions to push aside that anything that will interfere with her duty so to speak excuse me duty Mm -hmm. and so when she finds out that she's been playing for the wrong side the whole time that is a lot that would collapse a lot of people right and so she is dealing with the fact that she's been lied to for six years that she now is trying to reintegrate these memories that have suddenly come back to her you know most people would just break down and stop at that point but she just just like when she was a kid she just gets up and keeps going so i didn't really Mm -hmm. find that as less strong so much as her processing everything until she could get to a point where she could unleash everything that's true and and i I love that scene when they show that you know, you could look at life in two different ways. You keep getting knocked down or you keep getting back up. Exactly. And so that was impressive. Um, but yeah, I just I, I think I wanted a little bit more from Brie herself in playing the role um, to to bring those emotions out. Sure. That's like fair. W- when you've been that outraged and felt that lied to, you know, to see it come out a little more. 
it, it's interesting because both of you kind of are pinpointing different aspects of the things that I, I feel like create the issues that I have the most with the movie. And, and part of it is that we're telling the story about an amnesiac. And that makes it very difficult for us to get to know the character of mm-hmm. Carol. Because like you said, Brandy, she doesn't know who she is. And so I feel like, and and, and I, I think, I feel like we never really know who she is. I feel like they try to help us understand who she is a little bit by giving us some flashbacks. and, and But the problem is, I think for the most part, we're just kind of told who she is because Maria literally just tells her who she is. And it would have been a more, I think it would be more powerful if we got to walk through some of those experiences with Carol so that we have a a firmer understanding. So I I feel like, and this is the only, um, you know, and and the only reason I use this is because it's another another superhero movie um, and they use flashbacks, but it made me think of in Man of Steel when we flash back to moments in Clark's life and we get to spend time in those memories and really kind of soak and and maturate those ideas so that when we then flash back to the present for him, that we are very much in tune with what has happened to Clark and it informs the character in the present. And I feel like this movie never gives us an opportunity to do that with Carol. So I don't feel like I ever really get a chance to know who she is as a character, even in the moments when she finally does realize who she is and embraces her humanity and all of that. It's not as strong as it could be because there isn't an emotional connection then truly with the character because I haven't I haven't been through that emotional process that Carol's been through, right? When all the memories come flooding back to her, um, it's great for her as the character, but it's not great for me as the audience because as an audience member, I need to be able to experience that struggle that Carol's gone through throughout her existence. And I think that's, that's one of the themes of the movie is struggle. And yet I'm never really immersed in Carol's struggle. And so because I don't get to live it as an audience member, I can intellectualize where she's going, but it doesn't make it a really fulfilling journey for me as as an audience member. Um, And it's disappointing because I feel like Carol's story is one that I would have really wanted to see play out um, because I really think that telling the story about a woman who's been abused most of her life is is a, a story that should really be brought to the forefront when we look at um, God I'm getting the I'm the one who's emotional right now but <laughs> so when you think about like all the people that we hear about with the Me Too movement and all those kind of things these horrible things that have happened to women I feel like Marvel had the opportunity to really tell that story and to do it really well um, and then they just dropped the ball um, I think there are pieces of it here, right? Um, her relationship with on reg is one of them, definitely. But I think it would have been stronger if I got to connect with the fact that this has been Carol's entire existence. You know, always being told she can't do something, always being put down because of who she is, always being controlled by an awful father and all those kind of things. I think it would have just made for a stronger um, emotional arc. And especially, I can imagine a woman who's been through this 
connecting much more with this story. But if I, I haven't been through that, right? So I need the character to help me live through that. And because we didn't get to live through it as much, I was just disappointed, I think, because I really want to know Carol. And, you know, the same way I know Tony, you know, um, by going through that experience in the cave, you know, or going through all the experiences we've been through with Cap- uh, Captain America or uh, Bruce Banner or, I mean, all of the main characters that we've had that are men have really been through the ringer and we've been through the ringer with them. Mm-hmm. I just felt like they just didn't allow us to do that with Carol and it's really disappointing. Well, and even with Black Widow, I felt like we got more um, backstory of where she got, how she got to where she was in her career and everything. And that, you know, the reason she wanted to get the red out of her ledger, so to speak. Um, So I I do think you hit the nail on the head with that, Matt. And maybe that's why it was feeling a little empty emotionally for me was that um, they allude to all of these things in Carol's past, but never actually go into more detail so that you understand why she kept getting knocked down or, um, you know, I felt like it would have been helpful to see more of where she was actually born and who her parents were. And even like they, they just alluded to, um, Yonrog giving her his, some of, some of his blood, um, but never actually showing any of that. And I think that it's really said best that, you know, movies should show, not tell, that it's more powerful for you to watch it happen than to just hear it in the dialogue and then forget about it. My personal opinion on this matter, and I can totally see where you're coming from, Matt, um, I didn't feel the same way about the film because, unfortunately, with as much as we have progressed these days, there are still barriers that we need to break through. And you're not necessarily always going to be able to do that with a female-led superhero movie. I would be willing to bet that there were executives who made certain decisions that cut out parts of the film because they felt like this is going on too long or this doesn't need to be shown, etc. I don't know that for a certainty. I don't know that. But I feel like there was quite probably all of those things in the original story or in the original script that were then either cut out for time or because they felt they didn't want to show that part of the character at this point. Again, I have no evidence to back any of that up, but that's just a feeling that I have because the story was, uh, you know, conceived by four women and a man. The script was written by two women and a man, and it was co-directed by a man and a woman. So I'm pretty sure that there was some stuff in there that got cut out because as much as we'd like to believe that we're going to treat a female superhero in a movie the same way we're treating the male superheroes as much as we'd like to believe that as a society we're obviously not there yet with all of the trolls that came out of the woodwork before this movie even had its first early showing i think you did hit you just hit something else on the head that i felt like was disappointing about carol is that because we don't really get to experience her journey in that way intimately put it this way the movie thematically is always is has been it tells us that that carol's always getting knocked down she's always getting put down all those things um and yet the movie i watch 
there's never anything that Carol can't punch her way out of. That she can't outpower whatever it is out of. And therefore, I don't see a struggle in her. This I don't see the struggle. I want to see hashtag the struggle. Because that's the point of her story, right? Is mm-hmm. that this is like you just said, Brainy, this is a struggle that women still go through, right? So we need to tell that story. But they don't tell that story because they never allow us to live the struggle realistically. Um, and part of that um, is a disappointment. You could be right. I have no idea whether, you know, um, it has anything to do with the studio. I did hear the the directors talk on. Uh, another podcast and they mentioned how the studio is very supportive of them anything they wanted to do they could do um and that the studio you know for the most part was actually saying hey you know make it weirder you know just do you know so um i don't know but i do feel like um they 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 to me they kind of failed in the mission of bringing home the story of you know carol danvers and her struggle and i i what hurts me about that is that I know that there are women who, who need that. They need to see that on screen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's disappointing to me that anybody would would not tell that story, whether it's the studio or whether it's just the way the movie was made or whether it's just something that, you know, putting it all together. Because um, they also said, you know, they also had to figure out the structure of the movie. Do we tell it more linearly? Do we tell it with flash? You know, all that stuff. And I feel like what they came to... Gave us the most co- like um, streamlined version of her story, but I kind of just want the messy version of her story, you know? <laughs> I, I don't think any of us here would complain about a messy version. I think all of us would like to see that, but not everybody necessarily yeah. would. But that's the thing. You can't make a movie to please everybody, and Absolutely. that's why we mm-hmm. have what we have, and we have the opinions that we have, and discuss them amicably like normal well-adjusted evolved people right and not like trolls that just scream at each other yeah (laughs) (laughs) well and i you know i think look i think that's the thing too is that you cannot judge anything until you've seen it and you know now that we can see it we can all talk about it intelligently and we've been talking about what works for us what doesn't work for us and you know we're not trying to demean anyone it's just you know even us saying the things that don't work here it's because we feel like it could be better and it should be better and i would say this after 20 marvel movies i do think that the first female-led marvel movie deserved much more Mm-hmm. because you have done black panther which i think did the black community an amazing service when you look at the way that it dealt with the issues of like um, looking at um, uh, the black American male who's been abandoned by a father and what that did to Killmonger and then seeing that application, you know, into that, that father son relationship then juxtaposed with uh, Black Panther and his father, you know, and all of these things like I feel like it did a great job of dealing with. I think Ryan Coogler poured into that movie the experience of of you know black people from America and all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted them to do the same thing for Captain Marvel, pour all that um, into this movie, and I feel like they just didn't do as yeah. Um, 
how did you both, Christy, you mentioned for you that, that you felt like there felt like uh, something off with, with Brie. Um, Brandy, did you feel that way at all about Brie Larson? Did you like her portrayal of the character? What did you think? I liked her portrayal a lot. It was it was interesting to watch before she got her memories back because there were these bits of humor that were peeking out of her even when she was, you know, training with Jan Rog and, you know, just gets upset and blasts him with her photon fist. And then she has this look on her face like, oh, sorry. Things like that. That's that's the real Carol peeking through, but she's constantly being told, don't do that. And so when she's on Earth and she's starting to be around more people who are, I well, I wouldn't call Nick Fury a normal human, an average human, by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, you start to see that sense of humor come out more and more and more. And... You know, for someone who's just figured out who she is, honestly, you're n- I don't know that you're going to get that whole Carol Danvers as we know her from the comics right then. It, there's going to be some progression. But I, I saw the sense of humor. I saw the intensity and the, you know, the no feeling of knowing that she's right until she finds out she's not. And then when she finds out what's really going on, wanting to do the right thing. Because that's the person she is. Even when mm-hmm. they were doing the test flight, which got Marvell killed, Marvell being a lady this time liked it, and uh, and she would rather have blown up the engine of that plane than let Yanrog have it. And she she thought she would die. She shot that engine thinking that she was going to die, and she didn't. And then they stole her life from her for six years. And oppressed her, mm-hmm. and she didn't even know enough about herself to realize that it, that was happening. And then even pretty much buried any evidence that that ever happened. Oh yes, that was the the thing that really hit home for me as well. Um, yes. So even if she ups. tried to find out, <laughs> it's hard to do. Yeah, cover ups and enabling oppressors. Yes, I don't know what that's like at all. I don't see that in my daily life ever. Oh, sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> I let me preface this by saying I really liked Brie Larson um, I've seen her in short term 12 she's fantastic she was great in the spectacular now um, she was excellent obviously she won an Oscar for the room I thought she was very good in that so I've been a fan of hers for a long time now and so coming into this movie I thought that she would be something that would be a real benefit to it I do feel like that she because she's hamstrung by the fact that she's an amnesiac that it does kind of give her a lot less to play with and that's disappointing but i also felt like even after she knows who she is i didn't see i really wanted there to be a a, a kind of a a not abrupt but a, a, you know very distinct change in her you know to allow that personality almost to be able to finally flow out you know as 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 if she's free you know like it's everything i am is finally free like um and there wasn't a lot of change in the way that she played the character from you know before to after and it was a little bit disappointing to not see a little bit more i don't know i just i i've I don't know if everybody has the ability to be a superhero on screen. 
It mm-hmm. it feels like it takes a lot of charisma to be a superhero on screen. Um, it takes being larger than life, and she's never larger than life in the role. And I don't know if that's her acting choices or if it's the script holding her back. I don't know which one, but she was just okay, and that that kind of bothered me. Well, and I will step in, Matt, and add that I do think a big part of it was the script um, because I wanted to say for sure that I, I don't know if either of you noticed this, but the jokes that they did have in the movie, I felt like 1% were actually funny and good jokes, and then the rest I felt like were like the most lowbrow easy to get humor that really wasn't funny that it just felt like they were hitting me over the head going get it get it and i'm going yeah i got it the first time um in particular with the scene where they had um ben mendelson's character talos is that how you say it um and uh they said you know i'm gonna stick my foot where you don't want it or something and he goes where's that and they could have just left it there and that would have made me laugh. But then having to have her and Fury say, your ass felt like, uh, yeah, I knew that before you said that. It wasn't necessary. And it just felt like to me, a lot of the comedic moments they tried to put in were like that. And that was a lot of what bothered me more than anything. Hmm. I didn't feel that way at all, actually. Because honestly, the audience for that joke, I guess... Humor, I guess I should say. Jokes and humor are actually kind of two different things. But uh, because Talos actually literally didn't know what it meant and actually asked, they were answering his question. So, but, you know, different strokes for different The audience would know what the answer is, I guess is what I'm saying. It felt like they just kept going when they didn't need to. Uh, That's understandable. And did you like all of the scenes with the cat? Loved the cat. Loved the cat because I had an orange tabby for 18 years and I just kept seeing my orange tabby instead of uh, what the four cats that played Goose. I find it interesting they changed the cat's name from Chewy to Goose, though. That was kind of odd, but I understand, you know. I bet that's a Top Gun reference. It's absolutely a Top Gun reference. I think that's blatantly obvious, but... uh, I know how hard it is to train a cat, so I was absolutely (laughs) riveted when they got that cat to do anything. Because training cats, whoa, it's not like training dogs, guys, or any other animal. They just do not care. But, well, that's why there's the phrase "herding cats." Yeah, it's ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> and every, from what I've read, everybody on the set absolutely loved the cats. So they had a great time with the cats. So there we are. But yeah, I actually enjoyed the cat because if we had had Captain Marvel without the cat, I would have been upset. Yeah. Well, I well, mean, you've got to have the flurkin. Absolutely, have to so, have the flurkin, right? It, you know, um, and it is it's it is a little funny when the uh, scene stealer of the entire movie is a cat um, yeah he's as big as everybody else out. in that film <laughs> and it was really funny to hear um the directors i heard them t- um, speak and they said that the only person who really likes cats on the set is ben Mendelssohn, and he's supposed to be afraid of it the whole time <laughs> which i thought was very funny <laughs> that's um, funny 
that. Uh, and in fact, um, I I could attest, you know, I'm there with Brie Larson. She's very allergic to t- cats, so I get it. So um, <laughs> I Aww. love that she didn't really want to have a lot to do with the cat because that's how I feel about cats. So yeah, she definitely channeled exactly how I feel about them. So I really, I did appreciate that very much. Um, so this movie, in a lot of ways, is the Nick Fury prequel movie as much as it is the Captain Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask you guys how that worked with Samuel L. Jackson filling in a lot of those blanks for him and kind of giving you all of those moments of how Nick Fury becomes Fury, like the Nick Fury that we all know. Um, and, you know, does the de-aging process work for you? So I, I thought, yeah, the the de-aging process was fine. Um, but I, I noticed most the relationship with he and Coulson Um and I mean, I think we all probably fell in love with Coulson from the first time he appeared in the Marvel movies because he's just the good guy. And, you know, he he really means to save the world and has all the best people to help him do it. And so, you know, when he died, it was just so painful. But having him back was great. And um, seeing their relationship before S.H.I.E.L.D. had really gotten its feet was great. Um, and I think that it was fun having... Like you were saying, Brandy, all of the scenes with the cat, especially with it turning into um, a totally unexpected alien having the tentacles come out and everything. Um, And then the whole back and forth between Fury and the cat um, when he's going, okay, now, and then the cat does nothing. (laughs) That was funny. Um, Because the cat knew it was Talos. (laughs) Right? Um, The only thing I did not like about that whole origin for Fury was that how he lost his eye it felt like in the previous avengers movies that he was leading up to it being a a fight he had with someone not that it was he got scratched in the eye by a cat it just felt kind of like an easy cop out to like we'll chalk it up to it was that and move on to the next thing um it didn't feel like it was really well thought out or a really interesting way to tell the story to me yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, I actually, because I I believe the phrase that he used when was last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. Right, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know <laughs> anything. So we we're all thinking it's it's somebody betrayed him or something like that. Well, technically, a cat betrayed him, or a flurkin, um, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. So why is he going to tell anybody that that's how that happened? He is absolutely never telling anyone that he lost his eye to a flurkin. Just That's true. absolutely never going to say that. Uh, I, I actually, there were so many moments where I just thought, wow, this is a really different Nick Fury because he's, you know, he's a, a really strong and, and everything, but he's still, he's not as hardened as he is in the later movies. And I think that that's appropriate to be. Because I can't picture, you know, our current Fury, you know, singing into a dish brush at the kitchen sink. I can, I could no more have pictured that no, than that's fly. true. But it worked in the context in which it was done for me. Because this was, we were seeing a, a much younger uh, Nick Fury, you know, from at least 20 years ago. So I actually Right, like he'd that. still be kind of green. For me, the... the th- 
for all of the issues I have about Captain Marvel side of the story, the Nick Fury side, I actually really enjoyed. Um, I thought that it was fun the way that they did most of the things. Um, I'm I'm with you, Christy. You know, get him getting scratched by a cat. It's a little eh, okay, um, but you know, uh, the just the ability to to see what kind of created all of this was interesting. Uh, it's also interesting that you know we we thought that Captain America was kind of the basis for all of this, you know, because um, but now they've gone back and retconned themselves. So that it's Captain Marvel that's actually the basis for the Avengers initiative and everything that we see, you know, of what S.H.I.E.L.D. becomes and all of that. Um, So I thought that was interesting and very fun. But, you know, I think Samuel L. Jackson just had a great time with this movie. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think and that comes through in the film um, that, that he's having a good time. The work that they did on de-aging him works mostly. I think there are a few moments where it doesn't, like you can tell, you know. Um, but I think for the most part it works really well for him. I will say no, at no time that Clark Gregg is on the screen does his face look good. I feel like they just did not do a good job with Coulson. And maybe it's just because he's on screen less or I don't know, but he never looks right. Um, it was It was kind of, I did not like his look, their de-aging of him. I just didn't think it was as done very well. So that bothered me. But I did like them and their, you know, newly formed partnership. When It's very loose, you know, because he's the new guy. So mm-hmm. um, I appreciated them kind of introducing that. And, you know, I think they also did a good thing, is, which is they realized to, to have him there, but not to allow him to overpower the story in any way. You know, you just you have them there as a fun fan service thing, but Coulson's not a main part of this story in that mm-hmm. sense. And so I think they did very well to recognize that and not take too much away from really who are two leads in the movie, which is, you know, Brie Larson and Samuel Jackson. Um, so and they have pretty decent chemistry too, I thought, you know. Um, them together was also, I felt like, I think that's where to me, Brie Larson worked the best was when she was hanging out with Sam Jackson, especially when they were just mm-hmm. in the plane together. So really that I, it's, I, you know, it's hard to not like Sam Jackson. I've always liked Sam Jackson, even since the first time I saw him, which was Jurassic Park. Oh, hold on to your butt. <laughs> I still say uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> I me too. Um, I also loved in this movie Mother Flurkin. Yeah. Um, so that was great. That was that. See, that's the best line in the movie, right there. Uh, Mother Flurkin. So, um, for you guys, you know, I love Ben Mendelsohn. He's been in so many things, and he's so good. Did you guys see the switch coming at all? I'd wondered about this. Did you guys see the switch coming? Absolutely. I did okay, not. Brandy, you did. Okay, me too. Because I was like, this is not a surprise. I kind of knew from the moment we saw Jude Law in the trailers, oh no, he's going to turn out to be the bad guy. Oh, that switch. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about that the um, the aliens, the scroll ended up being the good guys in the story. I didn't yeah, see that, that coming. A surprise for me either, but. Well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay it's okay I, 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 
not everybody, you know, I, I, I was listening to a podcast today and they didn't get it. It was a total surprise for them. Okay, so, I good. Mean, it, it wasn't just know. me. Yeah. No, there's no. a lot you. of people it was a surprise for. <laughs> a lot. So, yeah. Beyond Sam Jackson, my absolute favorite person in this movie is Ben Mendelsohn. I think he steals every single scene that he's in. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what form he's in. You know, he can be green or he can just be Ben Mendelsohn, basically. Um, and I think he just is really wonderful. And when he is actually kind of like finally just himself as Ta- Talos, I just, I really have liked him as a character. I, I thought he was really well done. Well, and even wearing all that makeup and prosthetic and everything, he was able to be so like in tune with, you know, showing I've been hiding my family in this ship and that he had never even met his daughter until they went back to go get them. You know, that that was the first time they were ever seeing each other um, was so moving. And so I, I think that that speaks a lot to how great of an actor he is. And, um, I, you know, it's funny because you can tell it's him because he has such a pronounced lisp. And so from early on in the movie, when you see him, you know, in his alien form, I was going, that voice is familiar. Where do I know that from? Oh, it's from Krennic <laughs> in, in Rogue One. So, um, yeah, I, I really I thought he was incredible. I agree. I love Ben Mendelsohn anyway. I'm really pleased that they let him just be Australian have his own accent in this film. That was great. I, mm-hmm. I think it added to the character, especially when they're doing this memory probe on Carol and you're seeing, we're seeing her memories, but you hear the voices and he's like, what, what is this? This can't be right. <laughs> just, just the fun dialogue. And so you're sitting there thinking, okay, these guys are supposed to be, well, they're, they're being shown to us as they're supposed to be evil, but the, humor in which that whole memory probe has been done uh was just was ju- the first clue really to the audience of hey not everything is as it seems so but i just i adore him and i adored his performance from start to finish and it's amazing that someone can emote that much under all of that makeup it's it was brilliant mm-hmm. and i i mean I was actually surprised to see them in that much makeup because they don't normally do that anymore. You know, they normally just put dots on your face and give you a CGI face so that you don't have to try to emote under, you know, massive amounts of, I mean, it just, it it was, I was surprised and I, I don't know if I would have liked it more if they had done that or if this worked well enough for me. So I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I think that this is just a, a, a intuitive feeling, but I feel like they probably initially started out saying, oh, yeah, let's let's digitize this. But then as they got more into it in pre-production and in production, it probably was just like, no, this just isn't going to work like that. And so, yeah, the transformations, of course, are digital, but I actually was refreshed by the use of practical effects for this girl's native appearance. Yeah, I think it practical worked better personally because I think a lot of times you can tell it's so much CG that it can look everything being so fake looking. Um, so I, I really liked it, honestly. And just because I'm personally obsessed with special effects makeup. So I, I was like, these people are awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, I bet the other reason they didn't do it is because they are spending a 
buttload of money trying to transform people's 70 year old face and make them look 40. So, you know, <laughs> which I did not even notice with Sam Jackson. So, <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned earlier, Christy, about um, Maria Rambeau, Rambeau, yeah, and Lashana Lynch playing um, the best friend. And I do have to say, I'm I'm with you. I felt like she did. She was a surprise to me, um, and and she was surprised in the sense is that I felt like she was the best actress in the movie. She did such a good job. I really liked her portrayal. Um, I liked what she did for the movie. And one of the reasons I think I would have loved more time in those flashbacks is because I would have liked to have spent more time with her and her daughter and Carol which is the linchpin relationship for Carol Danvers in the comics. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it would have behooved them to find a way to do that because Lashana is fantastic and she deserved more time on screen. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the scene in particular that I'm talking about that moved me so much was when she and Carol sit down together for the first time since she's finding out who she really is. And she's like, you know, you don't know what I've been through. It's been really hard. And she's like, you want to talk about hard? I thought my best friend was dead. And then now you're here and you're saying you don't even know who you are. So not only am I having to process my best friend's actually not dead. She's right here in front of me. Now I have to process trying to help you figure out who you are as well. And it's a lot. And I have a daughter that I'm trying to protect. And then now there's these aliens coming to my house. Like it just, you really feel for Maria in that moment. And that's when I got teary. Yeah, I was teary a lot of times in this film. <laughs> so basically, everything with uh, with Maria. And uh, I I really, really appreciate the fact that they cast a person of color because in the comic she's white, but I love, and to me, it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting thing because there are characters in the Marvel cinematic universe that are people of color that are not people of color in the comics. And now I see them. And when I see these characters in the comics, I'm like, but no, no, that person is black or no, that person is Asian. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I just, I appreciate that they're getting more inclusive and the comics are catching up to that. So I, I loved Maria. I loved her daughter and we don't know exactly what happened with Maria afterwards. Maybe she joined shield. We don't know. She may have just gone on, gone back to being a, a kick butt lady pilot because, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that S.H.I.E.L.D. wouldn't prevent her from going on combat missions the way the Air Force did. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's my personal headcanon is that she went on to join S.H.I.E.L.D. and do lots of cool things. And then they have to age her for when uh, Carol comes back <laughs> for Endgame. <laughs> if she's even still alive, maybe she was in the snapshot. So, which would really make Carol even more angry and, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that that's, you know, hey, angry Carol, she gets stuff done. And I would be fine with that headcanon that you just said. You know, if Maria gets to continue being a pilot, she's clearly a good one. Absolutely. So I'm fine with that. She she um, took down I, I Minerva. Can't believe, so. And I also can't believe you used the word snap. Sure, I love <laughs> that now and I'm going to use it. <laughs> well, I mean, really. 
<laughs> it is. pretty much is like the Antichrist's version of the rapture. Exactly. So, yeah. Except yeah. all the souls are actually in the soul gym now. That's what I'm guessing. Well, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. I was actually surprised that, and again, I think one of the things when you tell the story the way they do is that, you know, when you cast Annette Benning as the Supreme Intelligence in Marvell, um, that's the other key relationship for Carol is Marvell. And that 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 connection that they have, so that when she dies, it's a, it's a huge moment, right? Because, it, you know, I was just surprised that Annette Benning doesn't get to be in the movie very much, which was disappointing because I feel like she's real. She's another excellent actress, and I would have loved mm-hmm. to have seen that relationship between her and Carol have a little bit more weight when she dies, because that is again, it's a huge propellant for Carol Danvers and what she does in the comics. Um, so, but I mean, wh- what she does in the movie, she's great. I mean, she's a nut Benning. There's enough said, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I felt like she, especially as the supreme intelligence and having those white contacts really creeped me out. <laughs> um, you know, coming across as quiet but powerful. Um, but I also think that, it, like you're saying, Matt, it really would have worked a little bit more if maybe they had shown something like scenes of her training Carol to be a pilot. Um, you know, sh- some actual flashbacks to more time of them together building that relationship. But I, I didn't feel like it was completely unbuilt. Um, I did still care and feel for Carol when she dies, but um, it, I do think it, it could have been a little bit more built up. Yeah, I, I can certainly understand that. Um, I looked at it somewhat differently in that uh, Marvell had to keep herself, her true self, apart from Wendy Lawson, and which is is a nice nod to the original Marvell, who was Warren Lawson, and basically came to Earth to be a Cree spy, and then realized he was fighting for the wrong side, and you know, etc. So, kind of a similar tie there. But I felt like she had to keep herself apart. She couldn't get too close to Carol or anyone lest, you know, it it interfere with her work, which was honestly the most important thing. And not because she was just driven to work, but because she was literally trying to end a war. And that was what consumed her more than anything else. So I feel like she did let Carol in a little bit, but... The danger of what could possibly happen from her, them t- being so close and did happen was exactly what she was trying to avoid. And so was always just a little bit distant. Yeah, no, I could see that. For us, we come down to the fact that we have Jude Law in the movie who plays John Rogg. And what did you guys think of him and the role of... Um, this mentor character who turns evil by the end. I don't think he turned evil. I think he was always evil. I don't think well, there was a I'm, turn. I'm just but... saying from the perspective of, of you know, the viewer who's, who doesn't know that he's going to do that. I totally knew he was going to do that. I expected it from the start. But I actually enjoyed his performance very much. He was one of those characters that I loved to hate 
And he took on that role really, really well, because he's like, I am going to be the magnet for all the hate, especially when it's revealed that I'm the traitor. And he just, I think he just revels in it, especially at the end when when he, uh, Carol has crashed his ship and she goes down to confront him and he's just like, I'm so proud of you and all this stuff. It's so condescending. And she just blasts him into a big old rock. And I love that it's when he's still talking. Yeah. While he's still talking, she just, she let him go for a while, just staring at him. And then she's like, nope, done. And just blasts him. And I absolutely loved that. And he just, I like how he played it because he always plays it with, you don't really know for sure until, you know, she gets her memories back. And that's mm-hmm. when you know for sure. But up until, until then, he plays it well enough that you can believe he really has her best interests at heart. And he's not just a tyrant trying to control her and use his power for his own designs. Or for the supreme intelligence designs, as it were. Yeah. I, I like that you said that, though, that he's, you know, he doesn't reveal it until he wants to, that he's got any other agenda going. Because, I mean, I really did get that feeling from the very beginning of just he's like her mentor. You know, they she can't sleep and she says, do you want to go fight? You know, it felt like a very close relationship and, you know, that she trusts him and that this is something that they do all the time. And I, that's why I think I never got any evil vibe from him or that he was actually working with Ronan or anything like that. But I, I do think that it was a strong part in the story to have him then take a turn. Um, and that it's, you know, what we know about the Cree always and that, you know, they are not the good guys and that, you know, Ronan wants to just rule the universe basically. So I, I thought it was, really great in Jude Law's performance that he's got that mysteriousness about him and his portrayal of the character that I couldn't tell. Um, And I think that he's just been great in most things I've seen him in. Yeah, I've never been disappointed with the performance of his. One thing that tipped me off really early on, even though I already had my suspicions and feelings, was the way he talked to her when they were fighting. There was some condescension Mm. there. And mm-hmm. I just thought, hmm, mm, that's going to come back to bite him. <laughs> so, yeah, but you get you get just and you can write it off as the condescension of a master and their apprentice, you know, and teaching someone. You can write it off to that. But later on, you can look back and go, oh, no, he's just trying to keep her down. He's trying to keep right. her controlled because she's way more powerful than he is. I do think, though, that in the scene where she um, punches him in the end, that right after that, that they kind of cheapened it by having her reach out for his hand like she's going to be the bigger person and help him up. And then she's just dragging him across the ground because I'm like, well, he doesn't seem like he's so knocked out that he can't walk. So I just didn't get why it needed to be that way. But I mean, I guess, you know, since she puts him in his pod and sends him back out. Um, Maybe that was why, but it it felt a little unnecessary. I felt like it was her getting a bit of her own back after six years of being oppressed and controlled. Now she Mm, was the one in control. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of a little dig 
And, okay. you know, I don't blame her. I'm just like, I would have done much more than that. She actually controlled yeah. herself pretty well. But I did love where she says, uh, you know, before, right during that big fight toward the end, I've been fighting this whole time with one arm behind my back and now I'm free. Mm-hmm. Because you do feel that in the beginning that she's always having to hold back and hold back. And you're going, ah, I want her to set free too. I like him a lot in the role. And I think once, you know, obviously the reveal happens and I'm with you, Brandy, I expected it to come. But I, I liked that what he does is he plays the manipulative, controlling, abusive boyfriend, basically, who seems like he's not trying to do any of those things. He's trying to do what's for her own good. But he has his own nefarious purposes in mind. And so he he plays that supremely well. What was interesting about that, though, is that I was talking to my wife after the movie and she said, you know, he kept mentioning to her and we keep playing on this fact that he keeps telling her, you know, you have to beat me without using your, you know, your power. Right. Mm -hmm. And. I would, we we came to this thought of it would have been really neat to see her in that moment when they're on the ship and he takes away her power. For her to be able to beat him without using her photon blasts um, because she she real it's it's the beginning of the realization that she is human and that her emotion is actually her strength and not her weakness and i thought it would have been really strong that if you had given her that ability there and then of course you know he's about to lose and then he cheats you know like all good bad guys do and has her captivated and then she's put in with the supreme intelligence and finishes that out i think that would have been much stronger because really where it comes down to is we realize that Carol's greatest strength is the emotion that she has, you know, that it is the emotion of the love that she has for her friends, for the planet she lives on and all these things. That's what gives her true power. It's not the power of photon blasts, right? That just happens to be a byproduct of an accident that makes her very powerful, but the true power lies inside. Um, And I thought that would have been an, even stronger to kind of bring that kind of thematic element home of her being able to break through of that lie, which is you need to not be emotional. No, emotion is what gives me strength. Emotion is actually what um, keeps us um, from just being logical automatons, basically. You know, you put those two together and they create a real strength. Logic, you can logic anything, you know, that's the, that's what Spock learns in Star Trek, right? That's why in Star Trek six, he says, you know, logic is only the beginning of wisdom, you know? So I just would have liked to have seen that because I felt like that would have given her the victory over him in the way. And then again, it's brought completely full circle when then she just, instead of playing his game anymore, she just does blast him, you know, because it's not play. She doesn't have to play his game. She doesn't have to play anybody's game, because um, she is her own person in that moment. Um, so I, I would have liked to have seen that. I think that would have been even stronger, and I just think it would have been an even 
stronger character moment too for Carol um, to kind of bring both sides of her person together, you know, because she's kind of been a broken person here. And I would have liked to have seen those two sides be able to to kind of meet together fully, you know, so she, you feel like she's more whole by the time the movie ends. So mm-hmm. action wise for you, you know, obviously Marvel movies, all action was, you know, and, and you know, we I, like I constantly think of when I think action sequences uh, for me, the standouts, most of them happen in Captain America Winter Soldier. You know, I think when they're infiltrating the boat for the first time. You know, uh, and Cap's just running down and he's just like flinging a shield, you know, that kind of stuff. Or um, when Nick Fury has his action sequence in that movie where he's in the car chase and it's just so frenetic and that that. So I always think of those kind of action sequences. Was there anything in the movie action wise that really stood out to you that you really enjoyed? I liked all of them. I loved the first really big action sequence when she's on the Skrull ship and she's fighting with her fists bound. And she's still kicking butt. And she keeps trying to get out of them. And she doesn't have boots on either. She's running around barefoot. She's fighting a bunch of scrolls, And she's, for the most part, winning. And then she finally uses her photon power to blast off these bindings. And then it's on. Except, uh-oh, she blew a hole in the ship. So now she's got to go. But I, I enjoyed that. It was very obvious that Brie Larson had been working out for nine months before they even started filming and that she was in prime physical condition. I know she did as many of her own stunts as she could, but, you know, there are certain things insurance-wise that they aren't going to let an actor do. And basically, the other thing that really got to me, and this is where I got the most emotional in the movie, was when she's fallen, she's, she's been, you know, she's trying to take down Yonrog's ship and, you know, he blasts her off and she's basically free falling towards the ground. And she starts to have all of these memories of getting back up after she's been pushed down or fallen down or what have you. And the power comes alive. And everything from that point, I'm just crying. I couldn't even tell you why I was crying. I was like, this is, I just love this. I love it. And I just, that whole sequence, she takes on three Kree ships and their weapons by herself. And basically mm-hmm. destroys everybody except for the main ship and they run with their tails between their legs. So that was that was probably my favorite sequence in the whole movie. But I do also like the whole plane chase with Maria piloting the plane and trying to escape slash fight Minerva. So really enjoyed that as well because I'm always a fan of flying stuff. I wasn't a fan of Top Gun because it didn't have enough flying in it for me. If that gives you any <laughs> idea of how much I like flying sequences. So... Those were the things. Yeah, Top Gun is a little more about the romance, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't care about the romance part. I'm like, this just, this isn't working for me. Just show me more flying. (laughs) Brandy was like, stop trying to take my breath away. Just give me flying. Exactly. (laughs) That is exactly how I felt. Yeah, I I think my favorite action sequence was um, Maria flying because I love that whole feeling of the, you know, weaving around the rocks and everything. I was the person always during every Star Wars movie that wanted to be in the gunner seat of the Millennium Falcon. Like, I just think that that's some of the most fun. Um, But I, I do think that she 
Brie Larson did a great job in the fighting scenes. Um, I did also enjoy that fight where she's got the bindings on her hands and is trying to blast those off and she's barefoot. It's just the perfect combination of everything going wrong and she's trying to get out of it. Um, I, I felt like the fight between her and Minerva was a little weak just because I felt like the Nerf gun hitting her in the face was, again, them trying to be funny and it felt out of place. Um, I don't know if it was supposed to be like a reminder of the 90s, but it just felt a little like, no, this is a serious moment and you're trying to make it funny, but it didn't work for me. Um, and I, I think that they probably could have done a little bit more flying. I, I think um, you and I both would have enjoyed that too, Brandy. But um, I, I think that her finding her powers, although I wanted her to, it still felt like maybe they could have done more to show her um, earning it, I guess, or figuring out how to use that flight. Um, it, because I just don't feel like, I guess if if I'm working through it in my mind, at first I go, well, how would she realize, oh, I can fly? Or is it that it's a near-death experience that brings that out of her? So in that way, I could actually go, oh, yeah, that would make sense. Well, she is free-falling towards the earth, and if she hit the ground, she would die. <laughs> so, right. And she knows that. She's a pilot. She knows what happens yeah. if she free-falls from that height. So I'm I'm sure it was triggered by necessity more than anything else and self-preservation. That was my thought. Just that it came over her. Yeah. Okay. That's my thought. You know, and, and, and I that's, get with that. again, that's personal to me and not everybody yeah. sees it that way. So, I mean, I, to me, all of the action is fine. So, and I think for many of the Marvel movies, I always enjoy kind of the, the things that they do that they add to the visual flavor of, of Marvel. Um, and, you know, and, and each movie seems to have kind of its own flavor. You know, Iron Man's different than Captain America and Ant-Man's different than Doctor Strange and Black Panther is different than, you know, and on and on and on. Um, and I, this movie didn't wow me action-wise because much of it felt like many of the things that we'd seen in Marvel before. Um, and I wasn't a huge fan of some of the ways that the action was shot, especially I liked the sequence when she's escaping because I think it was funny. And, and But cutting really fast between things doesn't make it a good action sequence, you know? Uh, and this is a part... I, I have a problem with this in many movies. But it's like... Just because you make a lot of quick cuts doesn't make it a great action scene, you know. Um, most of it is is doing really good camera work and usually allowing for there to be more space to actually see what's happening. Um, when you're doing a lot of quick cuts, it usually means that there's a lot of interchange between the actor and the stunt person. That's what it really means. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't, I don't, I didn't love the action in the movie. Um, but it wasn't bad. It just was. So, and I guess part of me wants to see something kind of amazing, uh, especially from Marvel's most powerful hero. Um, so, and a part of that was at the end when everything is just, again, it's really easy for her. It's too easy, you know? And I think when you're faced with the challenge of having the most po powerful character in the Marvel universe, 
you know, it's the same challenge you come in with Superman, right? You've got to have a challenge worthy of it, which is again where it's like, you know, I felt like in Man of Steel when you come up against Zod and it's the same power against each other, you know, it, it, there's a cost to the victory, you know. I just wanted there, to, I guess I want there to be a little bit more thought process to to the challenge that she faces. So I get what you're saying. Not bad. Because I, I, I think immediately of with Dr. Strange, his struggle was that his own pride ended up getting him into this accident. And then he doesn't know what to do with his life um, because he felt like everything he had was being this brilliant surgeon. And then he couldn't do that anymore. So now who is he? Um and and I do feel like what you're saying, Matt, is true in this movie that we don't see Captain Marvel go through that much of a struggle like that, that, you know, to have this defining moment is a thing that works well in any story. And that for her, it felt like it just never really got there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually it. Exactly. Like the the the, the struggle between the, the thematic element of struggle would have been nice to see play out throughout the entire film in a way that holistically connects the the whole story together um, because that's kind of the linchpin theme which is is struggle and so yeah i think you're right speaking of music what did you think about all the needle drops we got in here from the 90s how did that work for you guys oh it brought back some memories <laughs> So I recognized every single song and there were a few were like, oh, yeah, I remember playing that on rock band, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> I was always the drummer in rock band. Um, I really enjoyed it. They had some of my favorite artists on there because I love garbage and I love only happen mm. happy when it rains. <laughs> I love that song. So that made me super happy. Um but yeah, and I also really just liked her when she stole the clothes off the mannequin that it was this grunge look and it was a nine inch nails shirt. And I, I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't too much. It wasn't like every other second. So for me, it wasn't too much. It was just right to remind me, oh yeah, this isn't present day because that's a blockbuster she just fell into. So <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, that was actually pretty funny because I, I remember those days of Blockbuster, but they now seem so long ago, even though it's only been without the last... Friday night, walking around the Blockbuster, what are we going to rent? Yeah, that's me and my husband spending an hour going, okay, what haven't we seen yet? <laughs> so, yeah, I liked I liked the popular music that was included in the film, and I liked the score as well. I um think that you made a lot of great points brandy and i was actually a kid of the 90s so you know it was perfect for me as far as all of the references go um the only song that i didn't like them including just because it felt like oh yeah whatever was um i'm just a girl wait by no doubt um because I think that you just could have put another song in that scene to make it f her feel more powerful and like, you know, yeah, I'm a woman and I'm with her in this fight kind of thing. Then that song to me, that makes it feel more like they're pointing out that she's a girl in the fight when they could just be talking about 
an awesome character in the fight. You know, I, I don't think you necessarily have to say she's awesome in spite of being a girl is what it f- made it feel like to me. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I, I loved all of the songs that were thrown in that were really popular and well known. Um, and I think that the score was great as well. That that was literally the only song that bothered me. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because they mentioned in the interview I heard that they looked through like 3000 songs. You know, I think they're I'm sure they're exaggerating, but um and that was the last one that they came up with and it was um, it was the most obvious and I was like, yeah, that's the problem. It's the most obvious. Right. And so I I think it'll work for some people and it won't work for others and that's going to be the reason. For some people it's going to be like, oh, that kind of feels cheap. And for some people like, that was the best, you know. So <laughs> it that becomes about a taste thing. But I agree with you, Brandy. I really, and, and Christy, um, Pinar Toprak was the first female to actually do a score for a Marvel movie. Um, part of that is that there are not a ton of female um, composers out there who do movie scores. Um, one that I know that I'm a huge fan of is Rachel Portman, um, and done things like Emma and that kind of stuff, which she's fan- she's a fantastic composer. So, um, But I... Pinar is also Brainy. She did the soundtrack for um, Krypton. Yes, and I loved the soundtrack for Krypton. Yeah. Yeah. She's very talented, and I've been listening to the soundtrack, and I actually think Captain Marvel soundtrack is, is one of the better soundtracks for any of the Marvel movies because they haven't really had a great track record of having amazing soundtracks. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, there are very few hummable themes in Marvel, which is annoying. It's It's... Come on, guys. Think of themes. I mean, you know, that put it this way. That's what sets like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman apart from Marvel heroes is that you can hum their theme, you know, like that, you know, you should be able to hum a superhero's theme. Come on, people. So um, I hers is decent in here. I would like it to be more hummable, like more like it sticks in your brain. You can't get it out kind of thing. But I think for the most part, I really I've I have enjoyed the score a lot because I've been listening to it quite a bit um, and it is good. So well done um, and way to, you know, bring more diversity into music in that way, you know, and I think mm-hmm. she did a great job. So last thing before we reach the ratings, we're going to get to the ratings, but how do you guys like this as a setup for Endgame? Well, I kind of figured it was going to be a setup for Endgame. I mean, why wouldn't it be? Because honestly, you can't, in in the cinematic universe, you could not have had Captain Marvel show up before now. Because if you did, she would have beaten Thanos. So <laughs> I feel like you have to save her for this final thing even though they think everything's over because you know how they've already lost to Thanos but now she's coming on the scene so I I liked it I feel like you know I honestly would have liked a Captain Marvel movie 10 years ago but I don't think they could have done it 10 years ago I really don't uh and with the attitude even back in the 1990s, the mid-90s towards women. I mean, it was it was on display in little moments throughout the movie where it's just like, uh. but I do love the fact, uh, I'm just going to jump this in really quick, that at no point did they ever sexualize Carol. Not once. True. And that was magnificent. 
I've really appreciated that. So, yeah, it's it's a setup movie, but then, you know, uh, Winter Soldier was no, not Winter Soldier. Excuse me, Civil War was kind of a setup for Black Panther. I mean, that's where they introduced the character before they gave him his own movie. But this, instead of just doing that with Captain Marvel, they did give her her own movie, which I appreciated. So for me, it works. I know it's not going to work for everybody, but for me, it works. And I really did like the mid-credits sequence because I expected her to suddenly just show up and nobody knows who she is. So, yeah, I liked it. But that's 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 my personal opinion. I Actually, I really um, think you hit all of the same points that I would have said, Brandy, uh, as far as it being a good setup for Endgame. I do think that with her powers and everything, that it was a better time to bring her in now than before, like you said. Um, I do think that it was nice seeing some um, lead up also, like you were saying about her being kind of known about um, in that mid credit sequence before they suddenly have her appear, you know, at least they know that they're seeing this symbol. They're trying to figure out where, where the beeper is from and who's on the other end. And, but they have some idea of what's coming. Um, the only thing that kind of bothered me a little bit was um, them sort of backtracking and making this sort of the intro to the Avengers initiative. I think it, that, Initially, I was thinking, I do like having some origin story about things, but this felt like they were trying too hard to plug something in that they didn't necessarily need to hear since sort of like Matt was saying, they did it more with Captain America before, um, who would have been in the timeline before this movie. Um, so, I mean, it, that one little thing was the thing that bothered me, but the rest of it I really liked as a setup for what's to come. And I, I really look forward to seeing how Captain Marvel is going to interact with all the other Avengers. Yeah, she can dish out the snark, so that'll be interesting to see her interact with Tony. Oh, good, because we just mm -hmm. there there aren't any snarky people on the Avengers. <laughs> no, That's... there are no snarky people. But it's no. funny when snarky people butt heads, like Doctor Strange and Tony. I enjoyed the heck out of that. So, oh yeah. So I would I'd love to see a woman giving him lip like that. That'll be fun for me. I my personal opinion is this. I think that they should have pulled a Black Panther with Captain Marvel and Endgame. I think it would have been stronger that way because I think part of the, the, the problems with the movie overall is they're hamstrung by this being a prequel and it's not fully Carol's story. So I wish they would have just allowed her to do what we did with Black Panther, what we did with... Um, Black Widow, you know, we've we've played this game in the Marvel Universe before where we kind of introduce a character a little bit in one movie and then fully bring them in in the next movie. And so I think you could have done that with her and it would have worked really well and you could have whetted everybody's appetite to want to see, you know, more of her and then really truly had a movie that found a different way to tell her story in a way that allowed us to connect with her more. And on top of that, I think we would have already gone in kind of having a piece of what her personality is like. So you could do that as well 
where, I, you know, so I think it would have solved some of the issues that I have with the film because they would have been able to tell a different type of story with her. Um, and maybe, you know what? You don't always have to have a straight-up origin story, honestly. You don't. I, you know, I don't... Um, I'm, I hate to pull in a DC reference, but, you know, they... You don't have a, a straight up origin story for Aquaman really in his movie. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of an origin story, but it's not really. You know, they're actually just telling a continuation. You know, and I thought that I feel like they could have done the same thing with Carol, um, and it might have worked a little bit better. But that's just that's just my thought. I I would have loved to have seen them kind of take that risk and try that. Um, plus, I think it is kind of fun to have a little bit more mystery with her just showing up then in Endgame, and and you do have, like, almost a rogue element that you're not, like, completely sure you can trust, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would have been a little bit more fun, too. But, hey, I don't get paid the big bucks. I just do a podcast, so. Yeah, um, and, and I agree, except for the whole thing about Aquaman is they did tell his origin story in flashbacks. It just wasn't the whole movie. <laughs> right, I mean, I, I, but it... I guess part of it is that I think it in the end that end up working better. Understand? Yeah. We kind of have we you know we have more of a full we have the full story and part of here in the whole process of this is that my frustration is is that we just only have like bits and pieces of the story mm-hmm. and it doesn't fully congeal. So, what do you guys rate Captain Marvel? Do you think? After this very long conversation. <laughs> it has been going on for a minute. Gosh, sorry. It's been great, though. I love that we've all come from at different angles. I think it's made for some uh, excellent conversation. But I am I am literally on the edge of my seat right now, wondering what you guys are going to rate this. Oh, well, uh, for me, it may be a little obvious now at this point. But um, I did really want to make sure that I talked about the things that I loved in this movie and that worked really well because I think that it's something that I waited for for a long time and didn't even know that I was going to get until, you know, a year or two ago um, and, and was thrilled about that because I loved the comic so much and because I loved how Kelly Sue wrote her so much, who actually Kelly Sue had a, uh, her parents, her father was in the Air Force, so she had some actual experience to bring to the table in writing that character. And they credited her in the credits for the movie. If you didn't notice, I noticed. <laughs> um, yep. I was so excited. It said, thank you, Kelly Sue DeConnick for your uh, significant contributions to this film. Um, but I, there were just a couple of things that stood out to me that I think could have been a lot better. Um, I, I think that the scenes with, her in fury it felt it like the chemistry could have been better i think that the jokes were the biggest drawback for me i I think that they could have just left let them lie instead of pushing it over and over again um and i think that they really could have told a little bit better background story of captain marvel herself you know her background of who she was as a child and why she kept getting knocked down um, to give it some more weight and emotional appeal. But overall, I still enjoyed it. And uh, like I said, got to see a character on film that I never thought I'd see. 
Um, so I give it a, hmm, I'm going to say five light bright suits out of 10 because it, like I said, it, I'm really 50 50 on it. I was thinking Tron myself, but okay. That's awesome. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, my husband mentioned Light Bright, and I remembered I loved Light Bright as a kid. So it, that's what I thought of when I saw it. 50% for me. Yeah, um, this is going to get a high rating for me because I had an emotional response, a positive emotional response that I did not expect going into the film. I always get emotional at things. I'm a very emotional person. And so more often than not, something in a movie or a television show is going to make me cry at some point. But I didn't expect the level at which it struck me. And it became more of a transformative experience for me where I'm just like, okay, I am watching this thing where this woman is kicking butt and taking names and she's not being sexualized and she's owning her power. And, uh, and it just, and I went to pieces. So I can't explain it any better than that. But um, so I actually feel like for me personally, I really loved this film. And I, despite problems that other people have had, I didn't really have those same problems. So for me, it gets five lieutenant troubles out of five. Wow. High praise. This is an interesting exercise. Um for for me you know and and it was an it's an interesting movie i you know talked through many of the issues that i had and and i think you know for me um the frustration with having those issues really came from i i very much felt like you know waiting this long for the marvel cinematic universe to get its female hero i i very much felt like it did deserve more um and it deserved better than than what we got because i just felt like the story of carol danvers should be one in which um we fully get to be immersed in her story it should be her story um and then there were too many times in the movie where i did feel like this this felt more like a prequel movie for <laughs> Nick Fury instead of a movie that's really focused on our main character and getting to know who they are and their experience and and what's made them who they are. Um and you know, when we look back at all of the most of the other Marvel movies, I won't say all of them, but I would say most of the other character introductions that we've gotten, especially if you've had a solo movie, we've gotten that. Um, you know, and those have all been male characters. You know, I feel like the female character deserves that just as much. I feel like any character that we introduce deserves to get their due. Um, you know, we're talking about people's icons, right? You know, Captain Marvel, especially with the run we got from Kelly Sue, is some people's favorite superhero, you know. Um, and we all want to see our su- favorite superheroes done really well. So I'm with you, Christy. I think that I land in the same place, you know five five and a half out of ten um five five and a half out of ten you know tesseract blasts <laughs> so um which that many blasts i don't know if anybody can survive but <laughs> right. i'm willing to try if it'll help me fly so <laughs> but i'm really glad that we got a chance like 
what I loved about this show, this episode, is that we all kind of came at it from different places. And I think that this show, when it, when, look, we can talk about what we like, what we don't like, but we can do it respectfully. And um, that's the whole point of doing podcasts, right? Is to get to talk through things and maybe something somebody says will actually change your opinion. It's happened to Mm -hmm. me many a times on this show um, where somebody's made me completely rethink what I thought about something. So I think that's what makes this really cool. And I appreciated both of you being on the show tonight and being willing to share your experience with the movie with me. It's been a blast. Um, But... We get to do that because we have amazing associate producers here through Patreon. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Wyam Millette, and Daniel Noah. They have been supporting the network for a long time and the 602 Club to make sure that each and every episode of the 602 Club keeps coming to you, plus everything else on Track FM. And if you like what you hear on Track FM, you can go to patreon.com slash trackfm and see how you can become part of the team and part of the network support team, the ones that make sure that all the lights keep running. We keep all the podcasts coming out to you each and every week. As you know, if you are a Trek FM fan, there's so much coming to you each week, and that's really expensive. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of the team. Now, Brandy, it is always a joy to have you back here in the 602 Club, Um, but I know that you have so much else going on so let people know where they can find you hey well you can you can always find me lurking in the babel conference i don't have as much time as i'd like to post on things because uh, life and work and stuff um, you can find me on twitter at brandy 12 or you can follow my alter ego uh dark amy nose rockets at dark amy nose rock um if you I would explain that, but we'd be here for another 10 minutes, and I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Uh, I do uh, a podcast with my friend Bruce Gibson. We do Live from the Edge, where every Friday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, we talk about the most recently aired episode of Star Trek Discovery, and we always have a guest host join us so that we can have a triumvirate of opinions and uh, you can, of course, find that on the Trek FM Network. And I do a podcast with my wonderful husband, Dave, called the Dark Corner Podcast, which you can find at darkcornerpodcast.com, where we talk about just whatever nerdy thing we feel like talking about. There is a lot of D&D and improv in the, we, that we talk about in our podcast and a lot of just nerdy stuff in general. But uh, we do it from a bit of a darker perspective. And uh, I do allow myself to swear on that one. So if you don't like profane language, then don't listen. And Christy, um, it, I mean, it's always a pleasure when we do in the show together. But um, yeah, if you know people wanted to catch up with you and see what you've been up to besides the 602 Club, where can people find you? You can find me, of course, at lurking in the Babel Conference like Brandy. <laughs> Um, and then I'm also doing, uh, in addition to co-hosting the 602 Club uh, here with Matt, I'm on once a month on the Star Wars Report with my friend Bruce talking about um, my Star Wars Fashion in Five segment, where I go through, try to go through in only five minutes, give you the most recent fashion news for men and women in geek fashion. So uh, called Fashion in Five on the Star Wars Report every month. And then soon I'll be doing a special uh, daily during um, Star Wars Celebration Chicago in April. So stay tuned for that. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram to talk more at Bespin Bell. 
Awesome. And you should be checking out all of those places for both Brandy and Christy if you want to do yourself a favor. So uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd under the name MattRushing02. You can also find me here on the network doing the Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine each and every, well, not each and every week. Uh, it's hard for us to get episodes out, but we've had a few new episodes out recently, so please do check those out. Uh, you can can find me, though, each and every week over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is called Outpost with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter um, one chapter at a time. And then you can also find me doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars every week. We have just... Well, honestly, we just get together like two guys and we talk about what we've been thinking about in Star Wars each and every weekend because, well, we're massive Star Wars fans. We're always thinking about Star Wars. Uh, and then last but not least, you can also find me doing cinema stories with my good friend Courtney as we talk about films, but through the lens of faith. And we want to say thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.